Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson. I'm back today. I'm not sure what lies Benji fed you yesterday. I haven't listened to the pod, but thanks, Benji, for taking over for Stage 9 yesterday. I was busy watching a Mennonite documentary. Uh, they've created some sort of colony in Belize. Pretty impressive stuff. Lot to learn from them. But thanks to LaCole for supporting the podcast all throughout the Vuelta. This is the Stage 10 recap. If you haven't seen LaCole's kit yet, then I don't know what you're doing. I was also riding in my LaCole kit on a mountain bike. A little bit unusual, probably a bit of a faux pas, but it's just that comfortable. Uh, and it's Canberra, so it's pretty cold. So I was riding around Red Hill on the mountain bike. It was actually a kangaroo. I reckon Benji won't even believe this story. There was a kangaroo, Joey, in the pouch, um, and it's staring at me, thinking, man, that Lacole kit is pretty fly. If you want to check it out, it's at www.lacole.cc, L-E-C-O-L.cc, link in the show notes and the description. But this stage profile, Benji, stage 10 from Castro Udiales to Suances, 185Ks, rolly terrain. We've got over 2,500 metres accumulated climbing. One categorised climb, but we've got 2Ks, 6%, 2.5Ks, 5%. You get my drift, about seven or eight of those sort of climbs, some bigger ones. The only categorised climb, Cat 3, Alto de San Cipriano, 4.5Ks, 4.1%, 4.6Ks, 3.5%. And then the finale, Benji's really good at this. Did you dive deeper into this finale, Benji? What was the exact gradient and readout of this finale and has it been used in the Giro d'Italia before? In the Giro, probably not. Um, in the Vuelta, maybe. Vuelta? Oh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> uh, so the final section is 1.5 kilometers at 5.9 percentage. I don't actually know if it was used before in the history of the Vuelta, but I saw the profile yesterday evening. I noticed that the parkour itself from the start looked relatively mediocre when it comes to the uh, Denevel meters, the altitude meters. But once you start that proper climb after 120 kilometers, that's when it really starts to get lumpy after the actual two proper climbs in this stage. And then I zoomed in on the final and I was a bit confused because on the profile, it looks like just a 300 meter uphill or something. But if I look deeper, it looked like it was actually a proper, a proper climbing section like... Agrigento of the Giro, but half the size. That's that's what I've got in mind. Maybe, yeah, probably the same the same percentage as well. So I wasn't looking at the likes of sprinters to try and make it on this day. I was thinking, honestly, that a breakaway could make it because I, I didn't know what team was actually going to pace because you've got the Koenig who has Bennett and also Bajoli. I thought... Maybe for Bajoli, they won't use their whole team throughout the stage to try and pace back a breakaway. And next to that team, I don't know what our team would do it because there is no clear favorite from a peloton uphill sprint here except for, well, maybe a Kroos-Schartner from well, Bora, maybe a Roglic from Jumbo, but plenty of people that do stuff like that. But I didn't think that it was going to be a peloton thing 
because I I don't know why certain teams uh, would pace in the group. But anyway, I can dive into the breakaway first. There was a breakaway of the day. There were four people in the breakaway, and those were these lads. Alex Molinar from uh, Burgas BH. He's a pretty young guy. He's got quite a bit of talent as well. I recall him getting a proper result last year somewhere in the Turul Romaniai. That is the uh, Romanian, well, tour basically in uh, in English. <laughs> he won that GC ahead of the likes of, well, not not the biggest guns, but Tvetkova, Barta, Attila Walter. So some talents, some older people that have done stuff in the past. He won that with quite a margin and mainly on the mountain stage itself. He also won a youth classification as a follow-up since, yeah, 21 years old only. So very talented youngster and looking forward to see what he can do in the future. Same goes for the Belgian in the group. Brent van Moer has been doing talented stuff in the past as well. I think he was better at time trialing, if I recall correctly. He has fifth on the World Championships U23 time trial last year, but he's also got a solid climbing in him. So I'm looking forward to what he can do in the future. I don't know what his pure skills are going to be like, but two youngsters in the breakaway and an older person, Tim Lichthardt, um, an elderly guy. Now he's not that old, but he's been running around in the peloton for quite a long time. And he was one of the riders that I would see on this profile being up there in a breakaway, to be honest. But we've also had Lastra from Cajarural. So four riders, Lastra being one of the riders in this breakaway that I, I'd expect to be one of the better ones on a punchy uphill sprint. But it never came to that because... The margin for the breakaway went up to a good 11 minutes, 12 minutes, 13 minutes. And that 13-minute margin was basically the cap. It didn't go higher than that. And then suddenly, three teams started showing up at the front. First of all, Movistar started pacing a tiny bit. And then suddenly, those were off the front. And Mitchelton and the Koenig started pacing quite a bit. Mitchelton, I would say, for the likes of Dion Smith or Robert Stannard, I expected Stannard to be in the breakaway instead of being in the peloton to try and take home the stage, but I guess not. And the Koenig was pacing, well, either for Sam Bennett or for Bajoli. They had two options here. Bennett being the rider that is most likely not making this stage. Do you believe with the profile here that he could have made this stage and actually won it in a certain way? No, because it, it was insane that he was the favourite for this stage. Um, I think this stage has been used before in the Vuelta. 2008, I think La Flamme Rouge, friend of the Lantern Rouge cycling podcast, told us 2008, I think Bettini won on this finale against ahead of the GC favourites. Bettini, not a pure sprinter, definitely a significantly better climber than Sam Bennett. won Liège and Lombardia multiple times. So different sort of, that's the sort of rider you'd expect to be winning, maybe like a Peaks again, Wow Van Art sort of guy, not Sam Bennett. So I've never seen Sam Bennett in his career win a stage like this ahead of proper Grand Tour puncher competition. We don't have the best punchers here, but we've certainly got some good ones and we'll get, get into maybe some puncher discussions after we've fully done the, the stage recap. But no, I thought that was just insane that he was stage favourite, um, I bet heavily against it. And this is not just 2020 hindsight. We, Benji and I were discussing it. We are discussing it with the Flamme Rouge. Many people were just thinking how. I don't, we didn't understand. I think Benji tweeted it. Benji's tweeted at Unibet saying, listen, if you want me to set your odds for you, 
Um, now maybe they maybe they're genius, Benji, because if you if you put up Sam Bennett, big name as a favourite, short odds, get a lot of people to bet on it. It's free money for them, I guess. So that's why you never see a bookie driving a small car. But moving on to what happened with the the breakaway, I thought they were going to go because I didn't think Yumbo Visma had any ambitions to pace, and they didn't. It was yeah, Mitchelton, obviously ambitious for. Robert Stannard and Dion Smith. I mean, they were right to be, but yeah, they worked a lot today. Also, De Koenig, clearly, I mean, I think we, we shoot on De Koenig a little bit on social media and stuff. I still think at the end of the day, they're one of the smartest uh, teams at winning races in world cycling and the way they can just transition from Sam Bennett not looking good, don't care, Stibar and Bagioli today, and they didn't, they didn't miss a beat. And it was off the back on some of these longer climbs and it was looking bad. The commentators were like, what are Quickstep doing? They're dropping their, their man for today, Sam Bennett. I was like, no, 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 no. Quickstep decided about 20 minutes ago that they were going to ride for Stibar, Gavagna and uh, and Bagioli. So credit to them for the transitioning, or maybe that was their plan A. And the breakaway, it looked gone. Like when they knocked into the uh, gap to about five minutes, it looked like they were done. And they just then slowly reeled them in. I'm not sure exactly when they pulled them in. I started focusing. You know how it is when you're watching these stages and you know, okay, Peloton's decided breakaway's not winning today and now it's a formality until they reel them in. But then uh, focusing from about 20Ks in, there was a pretty hairy run in. It's by the coast, beautiful stage, by the way. Um, If you want to see the coastline, etc., I'd probably actually travel here. But... It was Ineos pacing for a fair bit. Who else was pacing Benji? I think there was Astana pacing, sharing a little bit. Sunweb, I think, were getting in on the action as well. But no one really dominated the pacing. Um, Sunweb didn't really. Who was Sunweb even riding for, Benji? Because I can't even see anyone in the top 10. Yeah, I I would be thinking that they'd be going towards an Adamsman maybe or something like that. But Power? uh, Power... I don't think this finish fits him, but if you look at the results, then Power is indeed the first rider here. So he was 28. That's that's a bit of useless riding then, considering I would also not put their riders up there in like an uphill sprint. And perhaps that's because I don't know enough about an Arons mom, but I also just don't feel like he is an uphill sprinter or uphill puncher like the people that actually ended up front here. So very curious why they were riding, and yeah, I would have expected them to be in the breakaway today, definitely with some of their riders, because we've seen so far that quite a few of the riders are riding better than expected, perhaps before La Vuelta, and seem to be having solid talent, so I'm looking forward to see what they can do in the coming stage, but a mm, bit of a miscalculation to start pacing with the team, I would say. But Astana yeah. was one of the teams that indeed took control quite a few times because they of course have Alexander Buru, the king of kings, <laughs> the legend himself, and um Buru, the the punching guru. That's uh, that's his new nickname from now on. But I believe that this finish would fit him. And it was clear that they were going for him the moment that they also used Freile for him. So I'm I'm glad yes. that they didn't go for the usual Stana strategy where they tried to get two people in contention and then end up not having a proper result because they were looking at two leaders instead of one. So clearly chosen to have Anamburu on this one, and I think that will come out better on the stages where they do that. So that's pretty cool. I also yep. thought that I saw NTT moving up quite a bit there, and I'd expect that to be for Valgren, but 
he hasn't been so great recently. He has that one stage, I think, on Formigal where he ended sixth on a mountain stage. That was crazy. But outside of that, when it comes to punching finishes, the last time I saw it was, well, let's be simple, the Amstel Gold Race he won in 2017, 2016. So it's been a while. Yeah, Magnus Court as well was a favourite for EF. They were pacing a little bit, but the breakaway got caught third with 13 k's to go. And the next big move was from Remy Cavagna attacking out of the peloton for De Koenig. Obviously, they've got a nice little balance there, quick step where they can throw him up the road, massive engine, and then they don't have to pace. They can sit in. They can burn the lead out to the other team, sitting in with Stibar in front of Bagioli. So that was a lovely move. Ivo Oliveira, I believe, he kind of looks like Davide Formolo. He counted over to Cavagna, got to his wheel. EF started pacing for Magnus Court, as I said. and But Cavagna stayed away for a fair bit. It even looked like, geez, if they don't get their act together in the peloton, they're not going to catch him. Twisty roads, narrow roads on the coastline. Ivo Oliveira just got dropped straight up off the wheel of Cavagna about 4Ks later. And then it was Ineos who... The commentators said we're pacing on the front to keep Carapaz safe for the three-kilometre mark. <laughs> it's like, okay, a um, <laughs> bit of disrespect to Carapaz, who has literally won flat sprints before. But Ineos started pacing really hard at, at the front. Andre Amador once again doing a stellar job for, for Carapaz, putting him into second wheel with four Ks to go, then bringing back Cavagna. Then there was this really tricky uh, – oh, no, this wasn't – there was a descent. Not a tricky descent at this point, but then I think they had Carapaz in second wheel, Amador pacing, Amador drops him off, and then it was, you saw Roglic lingering at the front, and then Jumbo Visma moved him there really hard. Who was the lead-out man for him? Was it Vingegaard Benji? I'm not familiar with him, the uh, the, the last lead-out man for Jumbo Visma. I think it was Jonas Vingegaard, and the thing about Vingegaard is he's got quite a bit of history by, did, did he get really close in the for the Polonia last year to the actual eventual GC. I recall him being in the attack with Tau Gegenhardt and someone else. Three people going to the line and Vingegaard, well, winning from them in the sprint. So he's got some World Tour history already. I think he's got a World Tour win under his name. So he was definitely yeah, he one of the people that... Um, yeah, okay. That, that's what I recalled here. But... To be honest, they had Bennett in that group as well, Cousin in that group as well, and Vingegaard was not really the last lead-out man, I think. So I'm not sure if it was Vingegaard that was doing the last lead-out since he also ended up... No, like, I, think, I think it was. I think back. it was because yeah. Bennett and Koos would be in the peloton still kind Trying of saving yeah, themselves. Yeah, okay, you're right. Yeah, I think. So I think yes. the man who properly burned himself into that last... Because we're still talking into the Flamme Rouge at this point was yeah. either Vingegaard, I think, or uh, I don't think it was Vinance. And, yeah, he, he dropped Roglic off. And Roglic didn't go. He didn't go early. He then moved back a lot of positions, like even to 10th to 15th wheel. And it was Astana who moved up with Freyle, as Benji said, for Aramburu. They moved him up pretty early. They were pacing. And then Guillaume Martin, I mean, he's a smart man. He's a philosopher. He's one of my favorite writers. But, man, he... He always sort of he launches early or <laughs> makes it difficult for himself. And once again, this finish at the Vuelta, it's an out-of-the-saddle. Like, they're moving slowly. They're not sprinting in the drops a lot of the time up this climb, it looked like. It's a it's a proper climb, this finish. I'm not sure what the exact rating was where Martin was attacking, but 
like it's steep ish it's not a flat sprint by any means and that we saw you'll see that in the top 10 results he launched that sprint early i think it was bagioli closing him carapaz and this is when i knew roglic was going to win i knew roglic was going to win from 300 meters out because he's sitting on the wheel of bagioli i've struggled initially for from 500 out to pick him out of the caja rural green helmets because in the points jersey once i found him on the wheel of bagioli <laughs> Carapaz is closing down this long-range Guillaume Martin sprint. We've got a left-hand corner coming up or a bend. So Bagioli and Carapaz are doing a fair bit of work. Groschartner as well, kind of off, off a wheel a little bit early. Rolich, you just see, peeking his head out with 200. He comes out of the wheel of Bagioli in the drops and absolutely smokes everybody up this in this finale. It, unbelievable performance from Rolich. I mean, his third stage win, he's won a descent finish. He's won a mountaintop finish. He's now won, which on paper was a sprint finish. It's not a sprint finish, by the way, but on paper, it's a, they have a three-kilometer rule and full points classification points. So, yeah, he's won those three different stages like that, and he got to sit up and post up on the line, and there were time gaps. So, I mean, unbelievable win from Roglic. We're not surprised. I personally am not surprised uh, and financially better for it, but... <laughs> he was 20, 20, 20 to 1 today, um, and we'll maybe talk about that in a second, but 20 to 1 today, Bennett was 4 to 1. Something went wrong with people's view of this finale, that's for sure. And there's some been some drama with the the uh, gaps, the time gaps, Benji. Could you run through what's happened with the time gaps? Because I can't keep up because it, it keeps changing every two minutes. Yeah, I think the overall view right now is that, firstly, it looked like the whole group of the peloton was set in the same time. That was the initial, well, release of the results because there was this three-second protocol, you know, that I've spoken about on that stage that um, that Wellens won. Roglic was attacking from that peloton. The crash happened behind him and a gap of two seconds opened up, which meant that Roglic was put in the same time. Now, when they apparently recalculated it, there were some gaps because there are three seconds between some of the riders in the group. And as a consequence, you've got the first eight riders in the time of Roglic. Then you've got the next like 15 or 20 riders being in the time of Jasper Philipson, who got ninth. And Karapaz was in the group with Philipson and lost three seconds today. Now, knowing that he lost three seconds by being in that second group and that Roglic has... The victory, meaning he gets 10 bonus seconds. Roglic took back 13 seconds on Carapaz today, just with this finish. And as a consequence, he comes in the same time as Carapaz. And because looking at all the stages we've had so far, if we calculate the sum of all the positions of each Roglic and Carapaz together throughout the whole Vuelta, Roglic has done better and therefore he's wearing the red jersey tomorrow. So that's the whole story here. And that is why he is in the red jersey. But I think you've got an opinion about this because you said you were going to uh, shout something, but that might have been for the uh, initial thing, for the uh, for the initial. Oh yeah, they they've they've rectified it now. But I I still think Roglic. There was a gap of a second on Groschart. Now I'll run through the top ten. Roglic. Groschardner, Bagioli, Aaron Baru, Robert Stannard, nice result. Nice result for Aaron Baru too, by the way. It was a hard finish. Julian Simon, Dan Martin, seventh, bit disappointing. 
Gio Martin eighth. I'm not. I'm saying disappointing because Dan Martin is on magic form and beat Roglic in that punchy finish. So I actually, I I also had him down for the stage today. I'm not putting him down like that. I'm just saying I expected better from Dan Martin. Jasper Philipson, ninth, actually quite good from him, actually. I'm, I actually think that's a pleasing result. Magnus caught 10th, a little bit disappointing given the work EF did. And Dion Smith, 11th, Poles, 12th, Carapaz, 14th, Flasov, 15th, Mars, 16th. Another man, Benji, Valverde, 23rd, probably like 20 seconds, on the road, probably like 15 seconds behind Roglic, really, um, rather than actually three seconds. It's unbelievable that Valverde, on, on a finish like this, Valverde would straight up be gapping people, like from 2015 to 2019. So he rode away when he came to go. Yeah, it's Roglic is doing what Valverde used to do, where he just like almost humiliated him in a finish post up with 10 meters to go. Roglic wasn't even in good position. He got boxed in with like 500, 600, and was losing wheels. He got pinched. If you look at the overhead shot, he got pinched a few times. Had no lead out in the last K. Didn't matter. His legs were just way too good. And I was going to blow up about the uh, time placing, how they always give the same time to people, even though there's gaps. Like, I think they should be, they've got the technology to record the actual gaps. I think we should apply them for the top 10, particularly when it's GC guys in action. Um, Roglic definitely should be in red today. And I'm glad Roglic is in the red jersey today. I was going to blow up if he wasn't in red. But Benji, (laughs) Who are your top five? This is a 1.5K, 6% finish. Who are your top five punchers or top seven punchers in the world? In the actual world, outside of the um, the Vuelta as well, right? Yep. I would be considering Alaphilippe for sure. Alaphilippe's number one, yep. What, sorry? Alaphilippe's number one, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I would consider Vanderpool with his acceleration. On this finish, at least. Sure. Um, if I had to name three other names. Van Aert. Um, Van Aert, per, yeah, probably. Probably I would. I do think that a flatter sprint benefits Van Aert more over Van Der Poel, and this benefits Van Der Poel more over Van Aert, personally. But maybe that's just a personal thing. If I had to look at other people, this is such a sudden question. But just I was just thinking world champs. Mm. Add the world champs top five plus plus uh, Matthew van der Poel. That's my six or seven. I, I would Roglic, I would put Shakovsky. Yeah, Shakovsky sure as well. I would is last year he was very good in these finishers, and I think it was Catalunya or or Vasco where he won like three stages in a, in a similar way by riding away in the last seven hundred meters like Fulvadi did in his past. So. I think Sharkman 2019 I would put up there as well. I'm not sure this year because this year he's been riding a bit differently than last year. So he's certainly up there. Yeah, there's there's probably if I go to, through the riders, I can name a proper top five out of this. But uh, I can't just name <laughs> oh, this from the top of it. my head. I didn't prep Benji for that question. <laughs> my point, The point I'm trying to make is I have Primoz Roglic in the top six. He won... Liège, I know it was weird. He probably wouldn't have won it, but he, he would have come top four. He came, was it top five in world champs on a, a very punchy finale. For him at this Vuelta, where he's got none of those competitors, no Alaphilippe, Wavanaert, Kwiatkowski, Schachman, uh, Van Aert, 
It's Seattle Van Arts on its team. None of those riders are here. And we have a 1.5K, 6% finish. And he's like 12th favorite for the stage at 20. It's just, I don't know what people are thinking, Benji. It just yeah, but, it blows my mind. Yeah, and people were defending him in the sense of you've got Bennett that won the Irish Championships on a similar finish, but it wasn't similar finish and it wasn't similar competition. He was riding against Eddie Dunbar. No offense to Dunbar, but he's not up there winning Philippe or anything. And if we look at that parkour, it was only like a 0.13 mile. I don't know what that is in kilometers, so I won't calculate it, but... Uh, compared sure. to a 1.5 kilometer climb, that's a, a very big difference. So you've got perhaps Love Welter last year to finish in Toledo, stage 19, that resembles this a bit. I think there was one stage in Vuelta last year where I was really surprised with Bennett's ability to punch on a longer hill. But he also didn't have real punches against him. And while Roglic was there, I think he was more controlling the pace instead of trying to win that stage. And if you look at, for example, the stage that people bring up in Burgos and so forth, I think he won Burgos with that crash behind him, right? Yes. So I'm not sure if he would have won that if it wasn't for that crash, because that basically stopped the people behind him from being directly on the response to his attack. So yeah, it's all a bit situational. And I don't think that I remotely had Benedin taught to even make it to this finish line and have an ability to to sprint this upwards because the parkour before it is just too difficult and compared to last year I think this year's Bennett is a slight bit worse regarding hilly sprints and um, yeah I also just in general didn't have him on because I was expecting a breakaway as an extra so that's also why I didn't have Roglic in my mind because once again I well looking back I can understand why the Koenig would be pacing for Bajoli, but would you, before the stage starts, as a de Koenig team, would you figure out that, well, we should be riding today because Bajoli has a real opportunity of winning the stage, or would you say that he doesn't have as much of a, ch- a chance than than putting a whole team on the roads? Uh, I'm su- I'm surprised they paced so hard, but. I think it was good they did that. Not just I don't think it was just because of Bagioli though. They obviously had the Cavagna card to play. I also think if the Peloton was going really slowly and no one had um, taken it up in the last K and everyone looked at each other, I think if Stiba was in good position, he loves a late last kilometer attack too. I think he won in Volterra San Juan in you know, a last kilometer attack as well ahead of the UAE train. I think it was flatter, but you get my drift. He's got a lot of power. One one Strade uphill. Um, they also had that card to play, and then obviously Bagioli coming third in the stage. He's a, a nice, developing young puncher. I think the point I made about, wanted to make about that long Roglic puncher story is that if you want to look at who's going to win the stages like this, which are hard, maybe hard to read, it's not just about the accumulated climbing and elevation that they do in the stage. That's nothing. That's not something I really look at too much, to be honest. It's important for maybe which of the riders win out of a group. But I think if – I really just look at the finale much more closely because you've got to look, okay, how steep is it really? Is it 3%? Okay, 3% fine, but 6%, consistent 6% with some pinches in it, technical sections as well, and you've got that accumulated climbing. Now we're looking at punchers. Okay, so which punchers do we have? 
look down the list. Okay, we've got the man who won Liège top five in the world. I have him as a top five puncher in the world on magic form again at this Welter. Hats off to Roglic, by the way. Whatever happens from here on out at the Welter, one of the best comebacks in cycling history from a devastating moment in that Tour de France. He's already won three stages and he's in red and he won Liège. So, but anyway, that's how I'd go about thinking about it. I'd then be like, okay, Roglic, one of the best punchers here. It's going to be like Bagioli, the climby sprinters. It's not at 8 9%. So because it's at 6%, then we've got the climby sprinters like Aaron Baru and Dion Smith maybe. Magnus Court can get involved. That's how I would sort of read the uh, finales of races. And I always think the last three Ks of a race or the last five Ks are more indicative of who is going to win that stage than the preceding 180 Ks because if they ride the 180 Ks proceeding at a pretty gentle pace and then do the last 5 Ks, which is rolly flat out, sprinters aren't winning anyway. So that's sort of how I look at things. Um, does that make sense, Benji? Is that how you look at stages or do you have a different sort of process? I usually got the similar process, but the first thing I do is look at the whole profile in, in general because, well, looking at this profile, it's a bit of an in-betweener, but some stages really are obvious when it comes to like their profiles. If it's three huge mountain ranges, you're not going to put Bennett as favorite. And in a stage like this, obviously you got to look at the percentages of each climb, the altitude meters in total. I have a rough guess at that because I don't actually go looking up the actual total personally. But the last thing I do is indeed looking at the last kilometers because firstly, you've got the gradients and so forth, but even looking at the map and seeing whether a finish is technical or not can make a difference in a normal flat sprint stage. Like if we look at the sprint stage of yesterday, we had a roundabout with 400 meters to go. We'd need a team that has a good lead out to get your leader through there. Gotta be honest, the Kerning Quickstep had a mediocre lead out yesterday. Personally, they did bring Bennett to the place where he needed to be to actually take home the first place provisionally in that stage. But I was expecting a bit more of like a rush of like one team that flew through that, through that well, roundabout section to make sure that their sprinter is safe and at the front. And if you look at, for example, a sprint stage that is purely flat with a corner in the last 250 meters, then you got to look at the likes of a Caleb Ewan more than a Akamon because then the sprint is going to be based more on the acceleration of a sprinter instead of the max speed of a sprinter. So, yeah. In general, it's it's quite a few things, quite a few factors that influence my my opinion on a stage. But the last five kilometers is certainly a very important part in that. And tomorrow is a bit of an easier one. It's more polarized. Stage eleven from Villa Vicchiosa to Alto della Farapona, one hundred and seventy k's long. It's a mountain stage. It has they start off pretty mean 7k's at four and a half percent to get that breakaway nice and established then they got a cat one a very easy cat one by the way it's insane right benji alto de la coladona 6.7k's at 6.6 percent that's a cat one then the next climb by the way in between these climbs pretty flat valleys then the next climb alto de la cobertoria 10k's at 8.7 percent and then the next one, Puerto de San Lorenzo, 9.3Ks at 9%. And then the finale is also a cat one, which is 19Ks at 5.7%. So all of them are cat ones. You've got what should be a cat two at the start. 
um, and then you've got two moderate cat ones. One's quite, they're both quite steep, and then you've got a long gradual climb. Actually, Benji, do you need an alarm? Is that a, I'm seeing? Is this a fake news climb at the end? This is the fake news climb that we were speaking about oh. on the oh, podcast no. because <laughs> the initial twelve kilometers is three to four to five percent. There's a section of seven percent in there, but also a section of literally 0.5%, the whole kilometers. So it is not that steep, the first 12 kilometers. But if we look at the last seven kilometers, we've got 7 7.8, 8.9, 8.8, 9.1, 8.8, 8.9, 8.4. So, yep, this is officially a fake news climb. I don't have an alarm, and I've told Benji he can't use an alarm anymore because it offends my sensitivities, but there's a lot of climbing in tomorrow's stage. So the question really is, I think we know it's going to be, out of the GC group, only five people can win, I think. Carthy, Vlasov, Carapaz, Martin, or Roglic. I think Onrik Masters, just, there's no way Onrik Masters beating all five of those guys in, in, a, in a stage finish. I don't think maybe I'm being a bit harsh but yeah i think it's one of those five guys if i had to pick one of them i'd pick probably again i actually I, I, i'd struggle to pick between the five all, all five on their day maybe could win a stage like this um it is a steep finish it just has to be Roglic's favorite once again if it's decent weather like i don't see how anyone unless he gets lazy and just can't be bothered winning the stage Maybe they play the card of Sepp Kuss and they properly let him go for a stage win tomorrow if Roglic just wants to mark Carapaz. That could happen out of the GC group. Similarly, same principle with Vlasov, six minutes behind. Maybe they let him go up the road. This climb isn't as steep. I think it suits him a little bit more. So I like the look of Kuss actually tomorrow. Kuss and, uh, and Vlasov once again, and obviously I'll have a look at what Roglic is He'll probably be favoured for the stage, I reckon. But, Angie, you're the better expert at this. Breakaway or not, do you think Do you think now that Roglic is, out of the, is into the red jersey that Ineos are going to pace harder tomorrow to try and set something up for Carapaz? Bearing in mind, we've got the Angleroo the stage after. I think that Jumbo is going to control the stage. And the reason I think that they will is because Ineos won't control a stage that they don't need to and they don't give a too much about the first 120 kilometers of this most likely to try and set something up because they'd be spending people on the flat maybe Cameron Worth and so forth but you might as well keep them until it's absolutely necessary to use them and basing on the flat won't make Jumbo have a harder time so don't see the value in that for Ineos I do see the value in it for Jumbo a tiny bit more in the sense that they've done it on every single stage where they are in the lead where it is a mountain stage, they have controlled the race. And the only stage that it didn't actually end up with a GC win was the one where they had that misery in the descent with the jacket of Roglic for Miguel. So that's the sole reason that Jumbo was not pacing back the breakaway that day, because they were controlling the breakaway before the jacket accident happened. And they kept that breakaway on three, four minutes to make sure they could catch it on the final climb. But I think that Roglic is going to try and win a stage once again, and he's going to try and control the pace. Why else would you have a Hofstadter or the likes of uh, Martins and so forth in a team here? Those riders are perfect for this work and 
should be fine with controlling the breakaway, to be honest. I really believe that it's going to be a, a Peloton day. But then again, I, I thought it would be a breakaway day today. So I guess I, I could be wrong on that again. Um, my guesses for the stage are honestly... Mm, I think I'm going to follow you in the fact that I think Vlasov and Kuss have a perfect setup in launching a tiny bit early and having that advantage of not being marked by anybody. But if Kuss does that, he's basically going to do the similar stuff that he did on the last mountain stage and not be of much use to Roglic, except for being a satellite rider in a group in front to try and bridge towards his Roglic. But Roglic usually doesn't do that. He did it once on Kolalos, if I recall correctly. And outside of that, he never really used Cus as a satellite rider before. So that's why I don't believe that he's going to do it that much. I'm going to go for, yeah, I think Roglic will win, but I'm going to go for Carapaz. And the reason is that I would love the final few days of this Vuelta to be, uh, to be intense and that Roglic is not a minute before Carapaz and GC when they start the time trial. So I'm going to go for Carapaz just for the sake of the rest of the race and for the for the uh, stress levels on Angliru as well, because if it gets decided on Farapona, then it's going to be pretty sad on Angliru as well. So I hope that it's uh, a bit of a mix that Carapaz can fight back and El Jaguar can, can take a bite here into Roglic and on the uh, Farapona take the victory from Roglic. It's going to be difficult. I... I think that he would need to really put pressure throughout the whole climb, and that's what Carapaz also did last time. He put pressure for a large margin of the climb, but he's got to try something, because if if he brings Roglic to the last 1.5 kilometers again, we know what will happen. He's got more acceleration Roglic. He can launch and take that gap and get one of those thermonuclear attacks in and try and get away from Carapaz. But Carapaz held on quite nicely on that mountain stage, until the last minute where he had to snap that elastic. So I believe that on Farapona it could be the other way around. That's uh, my hope for the sake of the rest of the race. That's uh, that's my honest opinion. So uh, I don't believe in a break. Weather. Yeah, weather it's depends, weather. obviously. Yeah, you're right. And if there's bad weather, then we might see an Izagiri pop out of nowhere again. But um, we know that Ecuadorians are better in the rain. We know that Jaguars like swimming. So if we combine it <laughs> yep. all together, if it rains, it's better for for Carapaz compared to Roglic. And Roglic has been worse in worse conditions in the past. So it's getting a bit of a pattern. And as a consequence, indeed, like you say, rain could influence this race a lot. But that could happen on any stage, to be honest. If it happens on Angliru, that's going to be a massacre as well. So yeah, if it's normal conditions, then... Um, and Carapaz, and if it's not normal conditions, also Carapaz. <laughs> well, yeah, I think if it's rainy and bad weather, I like Carapaz to to gain some time back, um, whether that's for the stage win or not. I think he'll be the best of the GC group if it's terrible conditions. If it's good conditions, I can't see anyone matching Roglic. But the weather is very variable on this climb. I think I just looked it up. When I typed it into Google, the first thing that came up was dangerousroads.com. So, um I'm not sure if that's the exact road they use up this climb, but <laughs> I think a man that has to get in the breakaway tomorrow is Clément Champoussin for yep. Agisal Mondial. He was the best of the non-GC 
non-Sep Coos riders on <laughs> Mont Galvillo. He came 10th on that stage, 90 seconds behind Roglic. The nine riders ahead of him are the murderous row of GC guys and Coos. If he gets in the breakaway, he's going to be the best climber in that group um, unless Or Mike he's destined Woods to is. become the, the Attila Walter and Paripantra of the, of the Volta. Clement, get in the break tomorrow, as well as Mike Woods, I expect you in the break. I think there'll be a big break. Yoni Zagira, especially if there's nasty weather, Zagira brothers, them getting in the break as well wouldn't surprise me. Um, is it too early for Marc Soler to get in the break? I mean, where is he on GC now? He's lost a fair bit of time. Can he get in the breakaway? No, Can he can't. Can Vlasov get in the breakaway, he... or would he not? No, I think Flasov will stay in the GC group and just try gain some time back that way. And it's too much energy to get in the break and then get brought back and then that ruins his stage chances. I don't think he'd... No. Because if Flasov rides conservatively in with the GC guys, he'll end up top 10 overall on no. GC just through attrition, I think, on Angleru as well. So, And he might want to be saving his energy for Angleru, as he said on the, the uh, interview. But... Yeah, the one thing we we mentioned every Grand Tour, Mikel Nieve, he's now he's what twelfth on GC, four minutes twenty nine, doing nothing, helping maybe Esteban Chavez, so he'll be confined to that. What a waste of time! Instead of getting the breakaway tomorrow, and if he was in the break, he would be probably the most feared climber in that breakaway. I think he also came 12th on that Montcalvillo stage just about the same time as Champassin. So, yeah, just things like that you don't see where it's like, oh, why didn't Mitchell and Scott win so many stages of the Vuelta? Where, where are their top threes, etc.? It's like, well, did they put their riders in a position to get those, to get opportunities to do that? And it's like, well, Nieve tomorrow getting in the break, probably not going to be possible because he's four minutes back. So, yeah, he's just... In no man's land, in that unfortunate no man's land between 10th and 20th on GC uh, and not that far behind. But surely to be an interesting stage, I think there'll be a big breakaway and I actually think they might struggle to to bring it back because I don't think I don't think Jumbo Visma will care too much and maybe Ineos as well won't care about pacing it back too much for the bonus seconds if they're launching a proper attack against Roglic. But yeah, they're the riders I like to see in the break. Champersat, Izaguero brothers, uh, and that's about it, really. But that's all from us today on this Stage 10 wrap-up of the Vuelta. It's been a fantastic Vuelta so far. Even the basic sprint stage yesterday had a bit of drama that I missed. Can't wait for tomorrow's stage where there will be more GC action, more GC gaps, and maybe a breakaway winner, but probably not. Benji doesn't think so, and he's the breakaway whisperer. Trimmels Roglic is on mad form. He's in red. Thanks to LaCole for supporting the podcast, and we will see you tomorrow.